Hello, you're listening to episode two of Rob's Records, Finger Pie. So hello, yes, episode two, Rob's Records. Many thanks to the many of you who listened to episode one. We are on Instagram. There is a link 
in the bio to Linktree, which will put you in every possible direction that you would want to go to be able to listen to the show, or indeed if you wanted to pass it on to your friends, I'd be much obliged. So yes, episode two. I was thinking actually, think about Glastonbury. Not about the festival, uh, but, but more widely about Paul McCartney's performance, and even actually into the minutiae about Dave Grohl's attendance. Because I didn't mind actually watching Paul McCartney, and he does feature on Rob's records. I know the guy's 80, I know his voice is going a little bit, but I mean, I know a few 80-year-olds who perhaps wouldn't be as uh, inclined to go up on stage for, for two and a half hours. I did think his voice went on some of the... Uh, and some of the songs, maybe maybe I'm amazed, notably for me, but that's probably one of my favourite solo McCartney records. Um, no, I, I wanted to focus on actually something I'd noticed before. It was about Dave Grohl. And at some point in Paul McCartney's set, he introduces Dave Grohl. They go on and do Band on the Run. Or I saw, I saw a stand in there, sorry, then they go into uh, Band on the Run. And introduces Dave Grohl, and he's like, oh, you know, this guy flew over specifically for this, you know, uh, and everyone's like, yeah, great. And it got me thinking about this interview I'd read or I'd heard um, previously about how Dave Grohl, when he's on tour, he likes to go home as much as possible in between if there's a few days break and stuff. And then there's a time when he was in Australia, he flew all the way back. And it just got me thinking, this guy doesn't care about the, in- the environment at all. Does he really? He's catching planes like they're bloody taxis. Which, I know everyone says Dave Grohl's, you know, a lovely man. But I don't know. I'm sure he is. I don't think. I mean, after the colour and the shape, for me, the uh, Foo Fighters you know, are brilliant. Maybe it's just my, my tastes have, have changed. Who knows? But no, I mean, if, if, don't just take my word for it. Let's listen to, you know, let's listen to McCartney talking to, uh, sorry, let's listen to McCartney introducing, you know, Dave Grohl. And then I'll flip it to the, the interview uh, that he had on Australian TV. And it seems like he's, you know, hopping about left, right and centre, you know. But uh, do remember to do your recycling because, you know, the, the planet relies on us minions. And this guy flew in especially to do this. So what happened Tell us. Oh my God, well, I mean, I started on Wednesday and the flight got canceled. And then I started back to the airport on Thursday and then the flight got canceled. But the, I swear, I would never miss being right here with you right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Well, thanks, ladies. Cheers, that's Brie. Here's the Australian interview. They love you, like we all do. Now, you were saying before, I know you guys are both dads, and I've heard, Dave, that you used to fly back to shows when you're in America to be there in the morning when your kids woke up, you know, so they could see Dad. You just said before in the break that you flew home for Australia for one day for Daddy Day at school for your daughter. That is incredible. It was all looked bad. Exactly. (laughs) Don't bring it up around the other guys. Uh, No, it was every year they have a daddy-daughter dance at at their school. And my wife texted me and said, Here's the date, put it in your calendar. And I look at it and I'm like, I think this is in the middle of a tour. And it was a day off in between Adelaide and Perth. And we live in Los Angeles. And so I called my manager and I said, I can't do the Perth show. Cause I gotta go to this daddy daughter <laughs> dance. And he said, you've already sold it, it's a stadium. You've already sold 40,000 tickets. <laughs> us look so bad. Well, I, cancel, you know, I cancelled out on Daddy Day because I wanted to go on a golf trip. Well, <laughs> sorry. You're flying 
did she appreciate it? Did you she know, they not not at the time, <laughs> but I knew like I'm gonna hold this over their heads for the rest <laughs> of their life. And so I went and did it, and then I came back, played the show, and then immediately went back home after the show in Perth. And the other day, my daughter says, uh, a couple weeks ago, we we're flying to Europe. She goes, how long is that flight? I said, well, it's like 12 hours. And she said, Whew, what's the longest flight you've ever been on? Oh, no. I said, well, actually, remember that time? And I told her, she's like, oh my God, you didn't have to do that. And then she stopped and she said, actually, yes, you did. See, I mean, take it, you know, for what you want. It's, uh, you know, oh, but he releases fantastic songs. All right, yeah, Everlong, you got me. Color in the Shape, I do love it. It's a fantastic album, good stuff. Anyway, enough of the seriousness. Let's, uh, let's play a game, shall we? Five, four, three, two, one. Or as the indent, or whatever you want to call it, goes. Interestingly, it's from a, uh, there used to be a chocolate bar when I was younger called five, four, three, two, one, and they used exactly the same thing. So uh, by no stretch of imagination, I'm not original in this one. I've copied it directly from, the advert this isn't obviously a chewy chocolatey treat this is to chew your mind thoughts so yes um here's the five seconds five last seconds of a song Yes, the last bit might be a dead giveaway, actually. I don't know if you caught it, but um, I left that in there because it's something he has done a few times. The singer, it's a band, started in the 80s. Lead singer's a little bit wild. Anyway, let's listen to it again. Maybe you'll get it second time. The guitarist sounds like he maybe needs a wee-wee. No, anyway, well, listen, I'm sure you did get it. So why don't we listen to this fantastic song? One of the first bands I really got into growing up. So uh, here is the 54321 song. Cause I'm missing you I'm still alright to smile Girl, I think about you every day now Was a time when I wasn't sure But you set my mind at ease There is no doubt you're in my heart now Woman, take it slow, it'll work itself out fine. All we need is just a little patience. 
In the in Bali's sacred monkey forest, long-tailed macaques are the main attraction. Lounging around in lush greenery, hundreds of the primates entertain visitors and feast on food provided by visitors. Their leisurely lifestyle leaves them with a lot more free time than the average wild monkey. And in some spare hours, they're taken to playing with stones. In some cases, as research has recently found, even, you, even using them as sex toys. In a research paper published on August 4th in the journal Ethology, International Journal of Behavioral Biology, researchers analyzed how this population of Balinese monkeys play with stones. Among the more innocuous uses, including biting and gathering the stones, video footage collected between 2016 and 2019 also show hundreds of instances of monkeys in the sanctuary, both male and female, tapping and rubbing the stones on their genitals, seemingly in a state of sexual arousal. I don't think they ever used a stone. For the male monkeys, their genital stone tapping and rubbing occurred more often and lasted longer when they also had an erection. But despite rubbing the stones on their erect penises, the male monkeys never managed to ejaculate. Camelia Seni, the paper's co-author and PhD candidate at the University of Loughborough in Canada, told Rob's Records, or Vice magazine, that while masturbation in primates is not uncommon, the use of tools for this process is rare. It's hard to give a very solid explanation, but it seems that they do it because it feels good, she said. There is some sort of tactile stimulation for the contact of these stones with their genitals, and it feels good, and there is no reason to stop. So while the study found strong evidence that the male monkeys were using stones for masturbation, it was harder to ascertain what was going on with the female monkeys, who were also touching themselves with stones. Great Scott! When it comes to relationships, some parents may not approve of your partner, but for one young man, it's a case of the opposite. It turns out his dad is likely a pretty big fan of his new girlfriend as he used to date her. If this wasn't bad enough, the father has just learned that the woman has a child who is around the right age to have been conceived whilst they were together. The unnamed 45-year-old man took to Reddit's true off my trust forum to admit that he'd be telling his 28-year-old son about the chance the little boy might also be his son. Ooh. In a jaw-dropping post, he wrote, Today I'll have to tell my son his new girlfriend's child might be mine. There was no cheating involved whatsoever. I'd never do that to my own son. He's only been seeing her for about four months from what he's told me, but she and I dated two years ago. It ended because I was going to be traveling out of, the, out of work for a few months. We just lost contact. She has a one-and-a-half-year-old son that is very likely my child. My son told me the father isn't involved but hasn't, give him any, hasn't given any details other than it's just her raising the kid. I was the one to connect the dots as soon as I realised it was her. You can't imagine how unbelievably awkward the first meeting was. Thankfully, it was with other family members around, but she was just as freaked out as I was. This can't be kept a secret, though. If this is my child, I need to know. As much as it pains me to put my son in this messed up position, he needs to know too. He's coming over later so we can talk. Uh, I'm beyond nervous and I really don't even know where to start explaining something like this to him. Great Scott! And finally, a time traveller has claimed that they know the exact date when Queen Elizabeth II will pass away. The monarch 96 is the longest reigning British sovereign, but with the exception of 
episodic mobility issues, she appears to be in good health. However, according to a certain time traveller, hmm, the Queen's days are very much numbered and London Bridge, the code name for her death, will fall later this year. The time traveller, who goes by the handle time traveller underscore 2082, made the revelation in the TikTok video, of course, where they claimed that the Queen will pass away this year alongside a whole other range of specific predictions. They wrote in the video, I am a real time traveller. I am twin in 2023, Big Ben collapses due to an unexpected earthquake. In 2030, Grand Theft Auto 7 is released. That's big news. Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth went in 2022, October 4th. And in 2046, Niagara Falls has a huge blockage and water levels start to rise. Be warned, maybe the big blockage is all the bullshit from TikTok. However, this time traveller is not the only person to predict that the Queen will die this year. I mean, she's 96, you could pretty much say, you know, oh, oh no, maybe next year, or oh, maybe the year after. So yes, she is not the only person, uh, sorry, this time traveller is not the only person to predict that the Queen will die this year, as psychic Hannah Carroll has already had 10 of her 2022 predictions come true. Is that 10 out of 2022 predictions? Or is, I mean, how many predictions has she made for... Uh, this year. So she even predicted correctly that Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson, who, would have another child this year despite their notoriously cumulative relationship. Don't know what any of that means. However, a number of her 2022 predictions have yet to happen, including the Queen's death and the birth of Justin and Hayley Beebe's first child. The teenager from Foxborough, Massachusetts, of course, said of her psychic abilities, it's really exciting when something happens that I've predicted. I love seeing them come true. But wouldn't you know? You know, if you're a psychic, you wouldn't be excited. You'd just be like, oh yeah, I knew that would happen. Why would you be excited? Anyway, I've always been into pop culture and celebrities, so a lot of my predictions were about that. In other words, it's gossip. I've just always had it where I knew something would happen. It's like a vision I get of something happening, like a really strong gut feeling. That might be the McDonald's. Hannah asserted that while she might be slightly off with the date, oh, there we go, that's a good cover. Uh, that's not this year, maybe next. All of her predictions will happen in the next few years at the latest. Well, that's a surprise, isn't it? She said, I still think of all my predictions will come true. Well, yeah, eventually everyone will die, yes. Uh, but maybe I was off a bit on the timing and some will happen in the next few years rather than this year. What a bunch of bullshit. Great Scott! So this, uh, this shows Rob's records is Penny Lane. It, um, it's a song that dates, uh, is, is from my childhood, actually, which I'll explain a little bit later. But first, let me just talk a little bit about uh, Penny Lane. It's obviously a, bit, uh, a single released by the Beatles uh, in, I think it was December 1966, or was it January 1967? Do you know what? I don't know. Uh, that's terrible of me. Anyway, around that period. Uh, Penny Lane is not only a street, but it's also a suburban district in Liverpool. Uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon spent their formative years walking around those places. Uh, Penny Lane was the depot Paul had to change buses to get from his house to John's and to a lot of his other friends. Um, apparently it was a big bus terminal, which most kids knew very well. And the Penny Lane district is thought to have been named after James Penny, who was a slave trader in the 18th century. 
So in a book somewhere that Paul McCartney was interviewed in, he says, uh, there was a barbershop called Bialetti's with headshots of the haircuts you can have in the window. And I just took it all and arted it up a little bit to make it sound like he was having a picture exhibition in his window. It was all based on real things. Uh, there was a bank on the corner, so I imagined the banker. It was not a real person and in slightly dubious habits and the little children laughing at him and the pouring rain. The fire station was a bit of a poetic license. Uh, there's a fire station about half a mile down the road, not actually in Penny Lane, but we needed a third verse. So we took that and I was very pleased with the line, it's a clean machine. I still like that as a phrase. You occasionally hit a lucky little phrase and it becomes more than a phrase. So the banker and the barbershop and the fire stations were all real locations. As for the shelter in the middle of the roundabout, Barry Miles, a writer of another book about Paul McCartney describes it as Smithdown's place, known to the locals as Penny Lane Roundabout, where Church Road meets Smithdown Road. For those of you familiar with Liverpool geography, it is now occupied by a cafe, but was then used as a place to meet people or as a shelter whilst waiting for a bus. Paul describes his shelter as a place where him and John would often meet. That was where when somebody so that was where somebody would stand and sell you poppies each year on British Legion Poppy Day, where John and I would put a shilling in the can and get ourselves a poppy. That was a memory. In his book, Here, There and Everywhere, engineer Jeff Emmerich explains, one of Paul McCartney's favorite albums of 1966 was the Beach Boys Pet Sounds, and he often played it on his portable gramophone during breaks. So it wasn't altogether unsurprising when he announced he wanted a really clean American sound on Penny Lane. I spent a lot of time mastering American records and I was convinced that the best way to give Paul what he wanted was to record each instrument totally on its own so that there was no leakage or bleed as is known whatsoever. Paul's trust in me was such that he simply said offhandedly, okay, well, let's do it that then. So yeah, that's a little bit of history around the song, Penny Lane. Um, I think it went to number two. It was the double A side to Strawberry Fields and it was held off the number one spot by uh, Engelbert Humperdinck's uh, Please Release Me. But I think there is some kind of argument back then that if you were to, that I think Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, they were both kind of, cat I don't know how they divvied up and decided you know, which sales went to Strawberry Fields and which went to Penny Lane. But I think if you were to combine the two, then it would have been a number one record, like I think probably far exceeding uh, anything that they'd previously released before. I mean, Strawberry Fields Forever is, you know, is a fantastic song. As I said, the reason I chose Penny Lane, it kind of dates back to my childhood. I was, I was at high school, as it's known in this part of the woods, uh, Great Yarmouth High School to be precise, and it was in my music lessons with um, Mr. Dixon, Mr. Jeremy Dixon. I don't know if he's still about, and he would play the piano and we would all sing songs. Uh, some of the ones, some of the other ones I remember were uh, Windmills of Your Mind and Holding the Ground, um, sung obviously by the late great uh, Bernard Cribbins, unfortunately died just recently. Um, yeah, one of the things that did kind of strike me about the song was the line, um, a foreign fish and finger pie because um, finger pie is obviously Liverpudlian schoolboy slang for touching a girl's genitalia. And obviously I think it was something used at 
uh, when I was younger. But um, something you do on a fretboard now, I think, is the terminology for it. Um, but no, I just found that interesting, and hence the name of the podcast, Finger Pie. Not obviously a pie full of fingers. So yeah, that was uh, one of the memories from that song. I think that night, after we had that, it was like a Friday, I think it was a Friday afternoon music lesson, the best kind of lesson you could have on a Friday afternoon at school, uh, just singing our hearts out. I think there was one lesson. I was told to sing one of the verses on my own. So he'd single people out or whatever it is, and I can't remember what verse it was. But anyway, I sang it, and it's one of the songs I still like to sing. I'm not a professional singer, don't get me wrong. but. No, I, th I think it is a fantastic, fantastic song. Um, there was a, um, a documentary by Howard Goodall about the Sgt. Pepper's, recording of the Sgt. Pepper's album, because obviously Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane were the precursor to that. I think they were Brian Epstein, Epstein was the, uh, is the, was the manager of the Beatles. He was keen for them to release some singles. Hence, they came out and didn't appear on Sergeant Peppers. But in the Howard Goodall documentary, he, he does actually break down the recording of Penny Lane and the, the many layerings of like the piano on it. I think, uh, I think Sergeant Peppers as an album, the way it's recorded is, is fantastic. When you think about the limitations as well about four track. Anyway, no, this isn't about Sergeant Peppers. This is about Penny Lane. Um, the, the, the record I'm going to play you is a American version of it. It's from a jukebox because it had the middle bit cut out. So I had to search around trying to find the, the inner bit that I could uh, in it. You know what I mean? The black kind of puck thing that you'd put in the center of the record to be able to play this. And rather interestingly, if you listen to the first show, it's in mono. So uh, going against everything that I believe in, here's Penny Lane in mono. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs Of every head he's had the pleasure to know And all the people that come and go Stop and say hello On the corner is a banker with a motor car The little children laughing him behind his back She feels as if she's in a 
shaves another customer We see the banker sitting waiting for a trim And then the fireman rushes in Yeah, Rose Records, Penny Lane, do check it out. If you're not a big Beatles fan, then, you know, I would check out maybe Beatles 1, or if you've not heard, the, if you need an introduction to the Beatles, you know, Beatles 1's a quite, you know, quite an interesting one. I think when I first got into the Beatles, as my dad had bought the Red and Blue album. Yeah, I've got those on vinyl too. But yeah, that got me into it. I was really, I was more into the Red album than I was the the blue album but I think it was just the the poppy kind of the catchy catchiness to it but anyway please release me I mentioned it just recently uh, just previously actually during the Rob's records about Penny Lane and how McCartney's favorite album of 1966 was Pet Sounds so Pet Sounds was first released in 1966 as I said in mono and duophonic formats so duophonic sound was a trade name for a type of audio signal processing, sorry, this is from Wikipedia, used by Capitol Records on certain releases and re-releases of mono recordings issued during the 60s and 70s. In this process, mono recordings were repossessed into a type of artificial stereo. Generically, the sound is commonly known as fake stereo or mock stereo. This was done by splitting the mono signal into two channels, then delaying one channel signal by means of delay lines and other circuits, i.e. desynchronizing the two channels by fractions of a second and cutting the bass frequencies into one channel with a high pass filter, whatever that means, then cutting the treble frequencies in the other channel with a low pass filter. The result was an artificial stereo effect without giving the listener the true directional sound characteristically of real stereo. In some cases, the effect was enhanced with reverberation and other technical tricks, sometimes adding stereo echo to mono tracks in an attempt to fool the listener. So yes, in, in 1996, um, the remastering was overseen by Brian Wilson and engineered by Mark Linnett. And the set includes the first stereo mixes of Pet Sounds, and these new, uh, these new mixes were made possible by the survival of the original Pet Sounds multi-track tapes. So the advances in recording technology allowed the compilers to digitally sync multi-track stems which had been ping-ponged numerous times prior to their final mono mix down. So Linnet wrote, In mixing Pet Sounds in stereo, every attempt was made to duplicate the feel and the sound of the original mono mixes vocal and instrumental parts that left Brian that Brian left off the record in 1966 were noted and duplicated as were the fades. 
To this end, a Scully Model 280 4-track was used to transfer the analog reels to digital multi-tracks, the same model used for PET sounds. The mix was then processed through an original tube console from United Western Recorders in the 1960s. Some exceptions remain, and so the stereo mix of PET sound does contain some differences from the original mono mix. Among them, alternate vocal parts used for the bridge of Wouldn't It Be Nice and the end of God Only Knows, due to the original tracks no longer existing. You Still Believe In Me features a single-tracked vocal instead of the double-tracked vocal of the original due to a missing tape. In the mono version, chatter can be heard varied in various tracks. Instances of them were omitted from the stereo version at Brian request, Brian's request. So yes, the I mentioned before in the, in the first show where I'd heard pet sounds in my um, exploration of, of music. You know, when you listen to one artist and they mention another and another and another, and it kind of you know your your whole musical world expands. So pet sounds was an album I listened to in mono, and absolutely detested it. Um, I think it was not until blimey two thousand and four, two thousand and five. So a good maybe 10 years nearly after this uh, 1996 reissue of the uh, Pet Sounds album that I actually got around to listening to it. And as I said, when I heard Wouldn't It Be Nice, it was just absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, that's not me. You know, I know there's an answer. I just wasn't made for these times. Are you still believe in me? I could, you know, go on. Sloop John B. There you go. That's another song I used to sing at school as well in uh, Mr. Jeremy Dixon's, Mr. Dixon's music class. And so, you know, I, I think listening, to, it's one of the few albums I can listen to start to finish and I'm just in awe of the whole thing. But yeah, if I listen to it in mono, I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't know why. I just don't enjoy it as much. Or it just, it's like anything, isn't it? It's like tainted. If you like coffee without sugar, it's like putting sugar in it or vice versa. You know, if you have sugar on it, it's like, oh, you enjoy it, but not as much as it were. So. What song to choose, really? Uh, now I've got, I've got the reissue from 2016, the vinyl they released from there. Um, but I didn't want to play that. I thought I'd just use the uh, the uh, digital one that I've ripped from my CD of it that I purchased. Um, and yeah, the song the song I've chosen is God Only Knows because um, I think. You know, as all the songs go, I think this is the one that most songwriters, including um, Paul McCartney, they've cited, like God knows, their favourite song of all time. And I think in 2004, it was included in the Rock and Roll's Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. And in 2021, it was ranked as number 11 in Rolling Stones' list of the greatest songs in history. And the only thing I, I find when I listen to God Only Knows, and it does kind of uh, irritate me slightly. There's a bit in the song, and they do the ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. I won't do it, but anyway. And it reminds me of this TV show um, when I was growing up called Jim Will Fix It. So Jim Will Fix It was a long-running uh, British television show. Sorry for my abroad, my foreign listeners. It was broadcast on the BBC between May 1975 and July 1994, and it was devised and presented by Jimmy Savile, who uh, encouraged children to write in and have their wishes granted. So yes, the, the show was hosted by Jimmy Savile, who would fix it for the children of um, the wishes of several children uh, to come true each week. The producer throughout the show's run was Roger Audish, always referred to as Savile by Dr. Magic. Uh, so the standard format 
was that the viewer's letter, which described their wish, their wish, their wish, sorry, think of my German listeners, would describe their wish would be shown on the screen and read out aloud, initially by Savile, but later series by the viewers themselves in a voiceover. Savile would then introduce the fix, which would either have been pre-filmed on location or taken place live in the studio. At the end, the viewer would join Savile to be congratulated and presented with a large medal with the words, Jim fixed it for me, engraved on it. So, all well and good, you may think of. But, um, basically, it turns out the guy was a bit of a... Well, it was a mass paedophile, and, um, well, yeah, I won't go into it too much. Basically, just being complete and utter shit of a human being, basically, to put it, put it lightly. When I, when I do, going back to uh, God Only Knows, let's keep it nice and fluffy and lovely. When I hear that, there's that certain bit, I just suddenly go, oh. But, anyway, it's, you know, it, it's, it's Brian Wilson. It's, it's, uh, the Beach Boys. So here we go. Let's have a let's have a listen. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you. You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you If you should ever leave me Will life will still go on, believe me The world will show nothing to me So what good will
So that concludes episode two, Finger Pie of Rob's Records. As I say, we're on Instagram, Records Rob, and in the bio there is the link tree, so you can just hold your finger on that, copy it. Why not send it to your friend in the text and say, "Go oh, listen to this one I've just uh, listened to. I think it's fantastic. Maybe apart from the jingle fix it bit. But yeah, I was, I was thinking, I mentioned about Penny Lane, that I had it as a single. I also have it on the Blue Album. On the Blue Album, I have it on stereo. So I should have really recorded that. But then someone told me, but singles, the, the sound rep- reproduction of a single is better than an album. But albums run at 33 and a third. And singles are 45 RPM. Why is that? Find out on the next episode of Rob's Records. This is the end.